We're going to continue this morning in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain found in Luke 6. And verse 37 is perhaps one of the most oft-invoked verses in all of Holy Scripture, and in my estimation, one of the most misused and abused. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. I say that it's used and abused because this admonition of our Lord to not judge is often used as a sort of smokescreen to insulate one from reproof, correction, rebuke. Don't judge me, bro, right? Don't judge me, even if what I'm doing is clearly wrong. Even if I'm living, Jonathan, in a way that's diametrically opposed to the gospel, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Don't even think anything about what I'm doing because Jesus said not to judge. So what does Jesus mean when he says this? Is he issuing a universal prohibition of judging, of having judgment? Is he saying that you can never use judgment? Is he calling us to a sort of moral and ethical agnosticism? We don't know what's right and wrong, and we sure as heck can't say what's right or wrong. Are we to forget about the cardinal virtue of justice? And when the cardinal virtue of justice was taken up from the classical tradition, into the Christian tradition, it means the God-given love of right. Is Jesus saying that we are not to be people of wisdom, able to discern between good and evil? My mother probably said a million times, she actually, I think, said it less than a month ago. We're on the phone. You know, we talk about the Lord and Scripture and all these things. And she said to me, Matthew, you can't judge, but you can, you can inspect fruit. And this is a reference to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, You shall know them by their fruits. And then he says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And then in Matthew 12, Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then in 1 John, I've got 1 John on the brain because we've been reading through 1 John in the daily office. The apostle writes, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. These are all judgments. Judgment calls, pronouncements. And taken together, what Scripture teaches is that the words and actions of a person are revelatory with regard to his or her character. They reveal his or her spiritual state. So judgment, far from being universally prohibited, is actually part of the Christian vocation. In 1 Corinthians 6, 
Paul is rebuking the church for settling their disputes with one another in public courts. They have been enlightened, supposedly, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. They've been imbued by the Spirit with godly wisdom and virtue, but they're taking their cases to pagans. They're essentially suing one another. Instead of handling disputes within the church, listen to the first three verses of chapter 6. He says, Which one of you has a grievance against another? Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? In other words, you guys at the last day are going to be appointed to the Supreme Court. And you can't handle these sort of Judge Watner, Judge Judy cases that you're having between each other. He, go, he goes on, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? And that always makes me laugh because 99.9% .9 of people who read that say, actually, Paul, I had no idea. That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? And then finally, he says, How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Paul says, we're going to judge angels. And you might ask, Father Matt, what on earth does that mean? And then I'm going to say, I don't really know. I really wish Paul had gone into more detail. But the clear implication of this passage, even though we might be fuzzy on the specifics, how that's going to work out in the eschaton, is that when Jesus Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, the Christian is not only subject to that judgment, so we know this. What does Paul teach? What does the scripture teach? That everyone must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. But we, we're not only subject to judgment, Paul is teaching, but we participate in it in some way. At the last day, Jesus Christ will put the world right and he will do so in and through his church. And that's the aspect of judgment, which is key in order for us to understand Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6. To judge is to exact justice, to put right. And putting things right, justice as an aside, necessarily includes the punishment and expulsion of evil, as well as the rewarding and expansion of the good. And though mysteriously we somehow as Christians will participate in this putting right of the world, nevertheless, the final pronouncement of justice, of judgment, and the meeting out of justice, if you will, belongs to the Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Don't you love the prayer of humble access? That was a line from that. That before we receive the sacrament, we acknowledge our own unworthiness and we simultaneously acknowledge the love and the mercy and the grace of the God whom we come before. His property is always to have mercy. This portion 
of Jesus's sermon on the plain, I think we can understand it as Micah 6.8 in long form, which says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. We are to cultivate the virtue of justice. We should have a God-given love of right. We need it, I think, in our day and age, in an age of moral confusion, more than we ever have. We are to work in the power of the Spirit to put things right. And this is especially to be active within the church itself. Reproof, rebuke, correction, and loving discipline for those within the body of Christ that have strayed from the narrow road which leads to life. Again, when Jesus says, do not judge, this is not a universal prohibition against judging, but a call to do so rightly. Look at the context. He's calling us to love our enemies, to extend forgiveness, to not be quick to give people what they deserve, or more often, what we think they deserve. but rather to do for others what God has done for us. Brothers and sisters, God loved his enemies. Not that God had any ill will towards us, but we were at enmity with God in sin set against him in rebellion and opposition to his will. And God loved his enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the way that God exacted justice, the way that he put things right, was through his love and mercy by laying on his son the iniquities of us all. So we do justice. But we do justice mercifully. We love mercy. Just before verse 37 where Jesus says not to judge, he says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So practically, we shouldn't be so quick to believe the worst about others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not that we're naive. But we are to interpret the actions of people in the most charitable way possible. To not be so quick uh, to dole out the harshest punishment. To cancel someone and give them no path back to redemption. No, we should extend to others the same mercy and grace and love that God has bestowed upon us. And moreover, we should be keenly aware, this is a warning in the Sermon on the Plain, that the standard we hold others to will be the standard to which we are held at the last day. Judge not, and you will not be judged. And then he ends, the pericope ends with, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
In Genesis 37, our Old Testament lesson, Joseph, as a type of Christ, uh, forgives his brothers. He puts this principle in action, what it looks like to do justice and to love mercy, to, to extend to another human being the love and the mercy and grace that God has extended to us. Joseph had not been treated well by his brothers. They're going to kill him, and then now we'll just throw him in a well, and oh, we could also make some money off this scrub. We'll sell him into slavery. We'll go tell our father Jacob that he's dead. And he could have. He was, he was the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. He was God's minister. We know that those whom God puts in authority over us are the ministers of God's justice. He would have been in the right to punish them, to give his brothers what they deserved. But he extends to them, again, as a type of Christ, he extends them mercy. And so should we, and this is going to bring it home, we who are, if we're honest, if the Spirit gives us a moment of clarity, we who are ever in desperate need of mercy and grace from God and other people, and have been and we have lavished upon by God with his mercy and grace, we are to extend that same mercy and grace to others. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. In our dealings with people, in conflict, in our wayfaring through this world, we are to walk before Almighty God, not in pompousness, but in humility, focusing primarily, focusing almost exclusively on our own faults rather than the faults of others. Just after today's gospel reading, just after the pericope, Jesus says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now notice here, that Jesus is presupposing, assuming that we will judge one another. That is, correct one another. Work to put a brother or sister right. But how are we to do it? We aren't to nitpick in a spirit of condemnation, of self-righteousness. Like the Pharisee and the publican, the pu uh, the Pharisee who prays, oh God, thank you that I'm not like the sinner. You're not even talking to God about someone else. And what is the publican? He doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He's not worried about the Pharisee and his corruption. Now you're living, you know, fat and happy and I'm over here. I got nothing. He's not worried about him. He doesn't even look, lift up his eyes to heaven. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. presupposes that we will, in love, put a brother or sister who has erred 
write or help to speak a word of truth. These are good things. The Bible says in Proverbs, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, flattery, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Speaking truth and speaking truth specifically to a person in error should be an act of love, compassion, but we do so with humility. And we certainly don't make small corrections in others when we ourselves are in need of a major correction. We aren't, as Jesus says, to be hypocrites. And by the way, I think this is so important. People say, you probably heard this. I don't go to church, it's full of hypocrites. You are not a hypocrite if you follow Jesus and along the way you fail in following Jesus. That's not hypocrisy, that's just being (laughs) dust, being a human being. Hypocrisy is when you pretend to have it all together when you don't. It's pretending to be something that you're not. It's not hypocrisy to be a sinner saved by grace in the midst of transformation. Jesus' call here in Luke 6 is to a call to humility, to focus, again, primarily and almost exclusively on one's own sins. This is key as we approach Lent. Uh, to throw off self-righteousness and the urge to condemn others, the urge to play comparative games... And to say with the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Judge not and you will not be judged. Does it mean that we can never voice the truth about right and wrong? No. Does it mean that we can never correct a brother or sister in Christ? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we are prohibited from having judgment, (laughs) from having the virtue of justice or prudence? No. On the contrary, we are being exhorted by our Lord to have and to practice good judgment. Christ is exhorting us to be merciful as he has been merciful to us. He's warning us against self-righteousness, against hypocrisy, and he's calling us to put on a spirit of humility, whereby we understand our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and are therefore focused primarily on our own need for forgiveness and restoration, which, thanks be to God, we have in Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen.